Pulse Audio Podcast Network. The work of today is the history of tomorrow, and we are its makers. Juliet Gordon Lowe. And we are its makers. And not only are we making history, we're telling you about badass women that have already made history, but you probably haven't heard of because fuck the patriarchy. This is Whining About Herstory, a podcast where two longtime best friends drink wine and chat about women from history you probably haven't heard of. I'm Kelly. I am impressed. Thank you. That was fucking stunning. Are you trying out for NPR right now? Yes. They're well, gonna, you're they're in. Gonna, they're going to listen to this episode. We, I, I have the email right here. They're like, Kelly, <laughs> instantly. get your shit here right now. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm Emily, by the way. Uh, you know, it's so funny. Kelly was like, I, I want to do something like clever, you know, different from the re- you know regular hello. And man, you fucking nailed it. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm just going to bask in that for a moment. Let it wash over me like a poised caudal glow. Yeah, and you get to, you get to I, listen I, to it again later when you edit the episode. Also, She's just going to like record it. And that's going to be like her text ringtone. I, do, do you guys ever have this where you like have almost like a verbal dyslexia? Because I just said poised codal glow instead of coital glow what am i i just want people to know that was a mistake i i know how those words are supposed to sound that's just not how it works for me i promise (laughs) you i know english that's okay because you know what guys here's another quote life is just a series of failures and then you die yay yay emily life's a bitch circa 2020 That (laughs) that was veronica mars oh that's right when they ask her about like I don't remember what book, but they're they're in like an English class, and they're like, "Oh, it was, is it like po- Pope's like theory of man or something?" Oh, and you're like, "Veronica, what does that mean?" And she goes, "Life's a bitch, and then you die." Oh, and the teacher goes, so fun. "Thank you for that succinct and somewhat inappropriate response." Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong, but like, come on. I'm like, yeah, that's true. Life's a bitch, and then you die. Well, thank you, everyone, so much for tuning in to our Life's a Bitch and Then You Die themed episode of nihilism that's coupled with drinking and empowered women. So, you know, we got a little bit of everything. Yeah, we do. So um, we do have like a quick little announcement via our Patreon. So Kelly has been working really hard on it and she has uh, revamped how we do our uh, some of our tiers and there is more work coming, but we are now making it easier for you to get wine glasses. How often does anyone make something easier for you? When was the last time that happened? She handmade things. Right now. This is the only time it's ever happened. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we have adjusted some of our tiers to basically just kind of recalibrate things. So now at the $5 tier, you'll get a handwritten letter from us and some stickers. The $10 tier, you still get the wine glass, but now it's two months instead of three months because they are handmade, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. But um, and then, you know, and then you'll get the handwritten letter, too. And um, we're also debating throwing in anyone at the five dollar and up tier like a christmas card or something like that some some kind of uh holiday season seasons greetings also now time for my private shame to become public we are putting the juice box episodes on hold because uh it's just not getting done and I would rather put our time into something that's going to be a little more sustainable and easier for us to get out. Uh, we're thinking about doing some like 
cursory highlights of famous women that you've probably heard of, but maybe you haven't heard these specific stories from them where we get sloshed and talk about, oh my God, I got to tell you about the time that Nellie Bly raced a bitch around the world in 80 days, but she didn't know that she was racing. Right. Exactly. It was fucking crazy. So yeah, you know, maybe we'll do that. We're also open to suggestions. If there is anything you want to hear or see from us, not our tits, please let us know. Yeah, we, we're fully open to figuring out what's going to work best and what you guys want. Because you are in control. Again, when was the last time you were in control? Never. Now is the time. Now is the time. <laughs> we're making it easier and we're putting you in control. All your problems are solved. You're welcome. We love you. You're welcome. All right. Kelly, do you have a say their name? I do not this week. I don't either. Uh, but So I'm just going to use this opportunity to again remind everyone that we had a melding of the minds with one of mm. our favorite history podcasts, Hashtag History. Again, they are like a duo female-led history podcast where they cover some of the darker sides of history. And they drink like, cocktails. Oh, they, and they, they step it up a bit. Well, they, they get dark, so they need That's something, they a, need little something a little stronger. We should start like... We, we should start doing cocktails for our Nazi episodes, and then people just know, oh, this is a Nazi episode. Breaking out the whiskey. God, I'm still. Yeah, I, I know. I did a very short and like positive story this week because I was like, I'm still recovering from Kelly's story. I can't get into my own shit. I know. <laughs> but uh, they've covered like the history of the electric chair, uh, Andrew Jackson, and a lot of his crimes against humanity. There's mm-hmm. a lot, guys. I mean, they recently covered the Dyatlov Pass. Oh, I love that I one. Lizzie Borden and. We teamed up with them to cover good and bad nurses from history. So Kelly and I covered Dorothea Dix, who fought tirelessly for mental health care reform. And then they cover Jane Toppin, who murdered like 30 fucking people. So it's it's a good time all around. Oh, my God. But yeah, seriously, if you guys haven't checked that out. Please do. It is. I. I was laughing. Yeah. I enjoyed. Listening I know. To I. It. I listened to it too, and I was like, okay, this is. I don't even like because I don't like my own voice, but I listened to it, and I. It was. It was good, and I'm not just saying that from like, oh, we were on it. No, like it was legit. Like a really good episode. Yeah, I, I felt really good. So uh, you can find them on all major podcast platforms. Hashtag history, and the hashtag is actually written out, guys. And they're finally on Twitter at. At hashtag history underscore pod. No, I think it's just at hashtag history underscore. Goddamn. We suck at this. But you can find them on Instagram, uh, Twitter. I don't Finally. think they're on Facebook. Uh, I don't believe so. No, because I looked. But yeah, and all major podcast platforms, give them a shout out. Give them some love and cheers yeah, to so them. It is at hashtag history underscore. I was right. I was right. You're so smart. After you're, after, you know like 10 or 20 episodes trying to figure out our hashtag or our at on Twitter. It was so funny. I know that at the end they were like, we were like going through our social media and they're like, wow, you really have this down. And I'm like, we have failed a lot to get here. (laughs) But thank you everyone for sticking with us. We love you. All right. Well, I'm just going to dive into our wine here. So, uh, by the way, thank you, Kelly, for making a quick liquor store run with me because I showed up empty handed again uh and 
I I feel like this week has just been an exercise in how badly I can fail as a human being before I just implode. Okay. So I, I really you. appreciate your forgiveness and love. And so this wine is dedicated to you. Aww. So this is a red Electra Moscato. And we had Electra Moscato, I believe, in October because Electra is kind of a bad babe. Yeah, uh, you're right. I think we did, actually. But we didn't. Ha- that was just the regular. So this is a red Moscato. I don't think we've ever had a red Moscato. I saw it and I was like, shit, they make that, sh- that stuff red? Yeah. I mean, I-, I don't know why I'm surprised anymore. I don't know. But this is dedicated to Kelly's new look. She is now the fiery redhead I fell in love with once again. <laughs> like a phoenix from the ashes. <laughs> Not that I don't love your blonde hair, but this is and this, this is not quite as like fire engine red as it was in college, but it's it's still it's fantastic. It's like it's fan- it's amazing. So uh, the back of the bottle says red Electra Moscato is a low alcohol, delicately sweet wine, refreshingly crisp and mysteriously aromatic. I How do you be mysteriously aromatic? I don't know. How do you smell mystery? Did Scooby Doo write this? I would say it's it's you know like an old school pipe like Sherlock Holmes. Okay, so mystery smells like tobacco and yeah. red wine. Yeah, cool. There you go. <laughs> Actually, sounds real good. It sounds re- uh, uh, correct too. Yes. A beautiful garnet red. It tastes of succulent cherry, berry, and pomegranate, delivered with a slight sparkle. It's the ideal party wine and pairs with a variety of foods: fruit, cheese dessert spicy food and more and then the painting on the front of the bottle is by artisan phillips way to go artisan yeah yeah i mean it's cool it's like a, a red clad a- angel with rainbow wings yeah it's very pretty yeah she's blonde it's though which definitely like. um hand-drawn yeah yeah it's gorgeous yeah so this is a 2019 i'm really excited i while you were doing your intro and we were talking i kept bringing the wine glass to my mouth oh, i know i almost drank I like, some earlier and no I'm like, oh, God, you have to wait so like, good i know i'm oh my god and you know what's cool okay so you know the movie uh interview with a vampire yes and how they drink blood out of wine glasses yes, and, it, and i'm like very classy well here's my thing it always looks like fruit juice i'm like blood is a lot more viscous than that guys they, they it's not should have used a port but <laughs> god damn or that uh greek church wine where it was like clinging to the sides of yeah. the glass but this looks like what they were drinking in interview with a vampire because it it, it's a blood color but it's very like watery liquidy it's not viscous like blood would be no it looks good though all right so what are we cheersing to friday yeah the weekend thank god it's fucking friday p g i f f thank god it's fucking friday all right bonus points if you actually fuck on friday i think you should get a badge or like a sticker or like fucking friday like 10 bucks for participating in fucking friday taco tuesday but better if you're asexual i don't know do just something really fun and pleasurable for you right something that brings you go on a hike or eat like just stuff your face full of food because honestly that sounds better than sex a lot of times yeah yeah not for me but for a lot of people or like, I don't know, just hang out with friends. Just do something that gives you great pleasure and we'll call it, maybe we should call it Fuck It Friday. Like, fuck, fuck it, it, Yeah, there we Friday. go. Let's do that. Fuck It Friday. All right. Cheers to Fuck It Friday. Cheers.
oh my god it's like clinging to my tongue and like sh- it, it, it's like almost fizzing a little like i think i like this better than like a standard moscato yes because it's not like super super sweet and and you can actually like taste the fruit yeah it's real good oh my god this is the wine i'm gonna fuck this friday <laughs> This is the Sorry, wine, Jared. This is the wine. If people want me to bring wine to a party, I'm probably gonna bring this. Like this is fucking good. And drink it all to yourself. <laughs> I brought this wine, but it's for me. Yes, I don't need a glass. I have you just bottle. you stick a straw in the top, and you're you're done. You go for it. Oh my god, this is amazing. Yeah, I'm glad it's low I'm alcohol. Glad, I'm glad I'm because second because I'm just gonna be sitting over here like. Well, and I'm glad it's low alcohol because I just want to like demolish this. Like it's we, real good. We had we had a Riesling last week, and that, and that was, was really that good. was excellent. That better. was hard, but this is like chuggable. Yeah, I this really is. Like this. I feel like we haven't had a wine like this in a while. It's summer. I'm like definitely gravitating towards these wines more. But oh my god. Okay, well I'm gonna go first. I'm glad I have a short story because I want to get back to drinking this wine. <laughs> All right. So today I am covering Sarunya Mangu, uh, and she is the Sorceress Panther Queen. Oh. Yes. And I have I have a quick disclaimer before I begin this. Um, this uh, story takes place in modern day Niger, which I actually just learned how to pronounce thanks to this story. So the more you know. And uh, I was trying to do a lot of research on the culture and like pronunciation specifically and getting a decent picture of everything that was going on here uh, because when we cover like European history and even American history, I feel like we have a better frame of reference because those are the stories that we hear so often. Rarely do we hear about stories from African countries, right? you know, except when white people went over and were kidnapping people like yeah, crazy. And then, but then we only hear the white side of it. Yeah. And then, and then like we hear about, you know, ancient Egypt, but like I, I don't hear about African tribes or anything like that. Uh, so I really did my best with this. I, I was almost hesitant to cover it because I was like, I feel like I'm going to fuck this up, but then I'm just not going to cover it. And that's part of the problem. So I'm doing my best here. There's also not a ton of information on this woman. <laughs> So I may not have picked the best story for my first foyer into African history. Um, but you know what? We're going to get through it together. We thanks are. to this red Electra Moscato. Thank you, God. All right. Saraunya Mangu was the queen of the Asna tribe. And they're a subgroup of the Hausa people. in, And she's living in like the late 1800s. In fact... Saraunya means queen or female chief. And I will refer to her as Saraunya because that's how she's referenced mo- in most places. Yeah. And actually, even though this term is not a specific name, it is mostly now used to describe her specifically. Like if someone's talking about Saraunya, they're talking about this lady. So the Asna tribe were living in modern day Niger. Uh, the area had become predominantly Islamic, but the pagan Asna tribe resisted being converted. In fact, Saraunya had been a big part of that. When the uh, Fulani people tried to convert the Asna to Islam, Saraunya drove them off. She also drove off the Tuareg people who frequently like tried to raid her village of Laugu. Fun. So 
they're living, they're doing their thing. There's conflict. It seems pretty standard stuff, though. But how did she achieve, like, all the success? I know you're asking, Kelly. I see that twinkle in your eye. I know. I'm like, what did she do? How did she do this? Yay, magic. It's not a trick. It's an illusion, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Arrested Development. That show ended too soon and then was resurrected and basically became Frankenstein's monster. Should have never happened. I'm so sorry. Anyway, Saranya was a sorceress known as the Panther Queen. And she employed that is a great name. Right? And she employed her magical powers to protect her people. So she has she's like a, a leader, but she also has like great religious leadership and significance and she's magic and she's like fuck you and fuck you and come here my people i love you and i'm gonna protect you with my panther magic i want panther magic right like that'd be sweet i really would like any magic but panther magic sounds especially really cool you know what if i open up to a magic i'm gonna end up like meg from family guy where she gets the power to grow her nails like right that would suck uh, so it was good that Saranya had magic because she would need it to face her next foe. During this time, French was busy colonizing different parts of Africa and had their sights set on the Chad Basin where the Asna people lived. Okay. By conquering this area, the French would successfully unify, i.e. conquer. Like, unify sounds too like, yeah, we're all united. No, they're fucking conquering and like yeah. devastating people. Uh, so they would uh, conquer all of their territories in West Africa. So this was like the last little chunk in their area that had not yet been devastated. And they're like, no, we're going to devastate that shit. To achieve this, they initiated the voulet Chanoine mission led by none other than Captain Paul Voulet, which means want, and Lieutenant Julien Chanoine, which appropriately means cannon. So these dudes want cannon. These dudes want cannon. You know what? Interpret that however you want. Now, to our modern sensibilities, we look at this situation and cringe. Colonialism was absolutely devastating to millions and was based on racism and the oppression of Native people and just, like, thinking, I want your shit and fuck you and you're also, like, not actually people to us. You fucking, like, yeah, they're awful. But even at the time, Voulet and Chanoine were considered absolute monsters and that's saying Hmm. a lot because we could own like people owned people at this time oh shit that scares me that was the ghosts we're having (laughs) power problems and so the computer that's in the room that we record and just turned off and the speakers popped and both of us were like oh and the light went that was scary that was that was scary i think that was the universe being like yeah fuck these guys they are monsters like it's that powerful it is they know it's Soraunya and her magic. Heck yeah. She's like, I'm with you, ladies. She's like, yeah, tell my story and tell everyone about what these two fucknuts were up to. Right. Voulet was described by other officers as having, quote, a true love of blood and cruelty coupled mm. with a sometimes foolish sensitivity. I don't know, like, what the foolish sensitivity would be. It almost sounds worse than the bloodlust because I'm like... Okay, these guys are acknowledging that this person's a monster. What are they considering foolish sensitivity? Right? Well, Sean Juan was described as being, quote, cruel out of bl- out of cold-bloodedness as well as for pleasure. So he was like, um, he was a monster, but he, like, loved to just straight-up murder people and hurt people. 
Not only did Wule and Shanwan engage in raping and pillaging the, uh, the villages that they conquered, they would also burn them to the ground and murder anyone they came across. People had straight up quit because they were so disgusted by these two. People had quit the French military because these two were like, too you're, much. You're gross. And this is at a time where some truly horrific things are going on. And even these people are engaging in some truly horrific things. And these guys, everyone's like, they're a little much. They're too much. This is this is entirely too much. The military mission they were soon to embark on was actually Voulet's idea, which he got permission to execute after lobbying for political support. His goal? To further his career and, like, murder a bunch of people while doing it because, you know what, you can have it both ways, I guess. This was such a great time to make a profession out of being a bloodthirsty monster. Like, hmm. this was this was their time to shine. It was their cruelty that the French military was wielding against remaining tribes. Now, the Asna people weren't actually on the path of Voulet and Sean Juan's destruction. Okay. Their advisors had actually recommended against the route that would bring them into the Asna's territory. Against all advice, however, they proceeded because they were like, well, there's more people there I want to kill. I don't fucking know. Like, and as far as the Vule Shanwan mission, there is a ton more information on it. But I was like, man, I I'm not going to tell their whole story because this is not their story. This is Saranya's. And for the purposes of this story, all you need to know is these dudes suck real bad. Saranya knew the army was coming and turned to her former enemies, the Tuareg who had raided their village and the Fulani who had tried to convert them to Islam before. She sent messengers to try to convince them to help her fight with a common enemy, which I'm like, oh, that's so smart. The Tuareg declined. The Fulani also declined, but with the added flair of sending a messenger's head back to Saranya. Okay. So, guys, when we're talking about doing, like, cards and notes for Patreon, we're not talking this. No, we're not going to send you anyone's <laughs> These are going to be, like, nice handwritten cards, you know, with, like, just a finger, not a whole fucking head. Right. Like, Maybe that's, a nail. That's so we'll wasteful. See. Why would you waste the whole head? Right. Like, you could cut it into so many separate pieces to give like, to people. I mean, you could send ears. You send exactly. nose. Like, I don't An fucking eyeball. know. An eyeball. These people are just, like, really bad at it. <laughs> so Saranya realized she and her people were on their own. The Vule Shanwan mission arrived in the borders of the Asna's territory, and they were met with fierce resistance. The Asna people fought tooth and nail to repel the invaders, taking out their fair share of French soldiers. However, as the French moved closer to Laogu village, the attacks suddenly stopped. Hmm. Upon entering Laogu, they were surprised to find nothing. It seemed that the village had been abandoned and the villagers had even emptied the granaries and taken the animals as they fled. Wow. So this place is deserted. Yeah, gone. It seemed that this was an easy win. After a little fighting, the French had overpowered and driven out the Asna people, including their panther queen. Well, not exactly. Hmm. While the Asna had been overpowered by direct fighting with the French forces, they weren't running away. They were lying in wait. Like panthers in the grass, maybe, one would Ooh. think. As night fell upon the newly conquered village, an attack suddenly came out of the wild. Led by Saranya, the Asna people implemented a guerrilla attack on the French soldiers. Just as quickly as they had appeared... 
they would disappear back into the tall grass. And this reminds me of that bit from uh, Jurassic Park Lost World where they're like, don't go in the tall grass. And you see all the raptors like from the aerial view just zooming in and taking people out. Night after night attacks came, chipping away at the French troops and their morale. The only explanation for the Asna's speed, ferocity, and effectiveness was Saronia's magic. These rumors were only exacerbated by the African people who had been conscripted into the French army and knew Saronia's reputation as a sorceress. So the French army is like, whoa, what the fuck? And like these... It says they were conscripted into the army. I'm just going to say they were made like slaves of the army because if you're conscripted, you're not volunteering. And like, let's be honest about what that is. Uh, But, you know, these people know this area. They know the Asna people and they know Saronia. And they're like, bitches got magic. We are so fucked. And the French soldiers are like, well, God, I mean, I, I don't know how else to explain this. I guess it is magic. This caused intense fear amongst the French troops, who began to have nightmares, fits, and eventually started to desert the operation. And this is a big deal, considering that Voulet ordered anyone caught deserting to be shot. So it's like, man, I'd rather, like, try not to stay here and maybe get murdered than stay here any longer. But maybe that was preferable to the epidemic of dysentery that had also broken out amongst the soldiers. Jeez. I can imagine this was also blamed on Saronia's magic. Diarrhea magic. Yeah. Yeah. That would work. That would actually be kind of a fun superpower. Like someone's being an absolute piece of shit and you just like snap your fingers and they have diarrhea. I would use that. I would get a lot of use out of that. I would like, I would like, I don't want to talk to you on the phone anymore. I would troll retail places. If anyone's giving the like sales associates a hard time, I'd just be like diarrhea. Right. Just walk by. Diarrhea, Karen. (laughs) God. Voulet and Sean Juan were not faring well with their troops' diminishing morale and numbers. In addition to this, their troops had been writing back home about the batshit insanity of Voulet and Sean Juan. Deeply disturbed by these reports, the French government sent Lieutenant Colonel Jean Francois Kolb, Klob? K L O B B? I'm going to call him Klob. Yeah, Klob's good. Uh, so they sent this dude to investigate. As Claude followed the Voulet-Chanwan mission's path, he was shocked to find a trail of scorched villages, charred corpses, women hanged from trees, and evidence of all kinds of deplorable actions. And believe me, I gave you the light of what they did. There was another one I was going to add. I'm like, we don't need that. No, thank Mm -hmm. you. Not even waiting to catch up, Klob sent Voulet a letter that basically told him to fuck off. Like, you're not in charge here anymore. You're a monster. Get the fuck out. Voulet wasn't super happy about this, but he coped by murdering 150 women and children. I'm not sure if this was from the Asna people or if they had moved on. Because, like I said, I didn't get super into, like, the movements of the uh, Voulet-Chanwan mission. But he's murdering people. Yeah. While getting his shit fucked up by the Asna people. When he when uh Club finally caught up to uh the Voulet Shanwan mission, he confronted Voulet, who in a totally normal move, shot Club dead. Just shot him. Hmm. Then, in another perfectly understandable move, Voulet renounced his Frenchness and declared himself a black chief who was basically the new ruler of all he had laid waste to. Totally Jeez. normal. This guy's soup stable. Give him a promotion. 
All of this bullshit did not bode well for an already demoralized army. This was also like not going well over in France because they were uh, the, the French government was kind of publicizing this colonization as like a mission of peace to civilize these unruly tribes, which right. again, were dehumanizing fucking people. Uh, and so to hear that the French were actually the monsters, everyone's like, what the fuck? I thought you said this was cool. <laughs> Ugh. Within three months of the initial attack on Saronia's village, Voulet and Shan Wan were both assassinated by their own men, ending the mission. Oh, Jesus. The Asna people and other Africans attributed this to Saronia's magic. It's said that upon the final assault of the Asna people on the French, Saronia transformed into a panther and ran into the wild, never to be seen again. Ooh. <laughs> Legacy. The tale of Saronia and her magic-fueled victory over the French was passed down orally. Unfortunately... The, the, the Voulet Shan Wan yeah. mission ending was not the end of French colonization. And with continued attacks from European countries devastating the native people, there were fewer to pass down the old stories and fewer to pass them down too. Oof. Even the French didn't keep great records. Voulet in particular had no ambition to learn about the cultures that he was devastating and of the Asna people only recorded the lives lost and the amount of ammunition it took. So he's very, like, by the numbers. Like, these are not people. This is not right. even real. Like, I, I, I and that, that that's dismissive. I think he knew what he was doing. It was just a complete lack of empathy or ability to see other human beings as human beings. Saronia's legend saw a revival in the 80s when the novel Saronia by Abdullah Mamani was published and a movie of the same name came out in 1986. The truth behind Saronia Mangu and her clashes with the colonists may never be known, but her three headcanon, she used her panther magic and messed some bitches up. What? Ooh. I also like this. Uh, I feel like I did pretty well with the French pronunciations, but then I also got to like be mad at them. <laughs> right? You're like, God damn it. Uh, it's not even that I don't like the French, man. Like the language. I just, I feel like a fucking idiot trying to say these things. It actually took me a lot of Googling how to figure out how to pronounce Sean Wan's name, and I may have gotten it wrong anyway. <laughs> Interesting. I'm sure it was fine. My story is a bit longer. So, you know, we'll balance each other out. I love it. Is yours a bummer? Not really. I mean, God. it has its moments, but not like, not last week. Well, well, not like last week. Mine also had some moments that included like murdered women and children, so. Right. We can't really seem to get away with that. Even with our really upbeat stories, like someone dies <laughs> horribly or yeah. something really bad happens. Yeah, exactly. All right. So I'm We're carrying. We're so fun and positive. Woo, woo, woo. Girl power to talk about sadness and tragedy. Right. I'm carrying. I'm covering Mary Wollstonecraft. Oh, I know her. Dude. I don't know her story, oh, like, but great. I know who she is. Do you know who she is? I She's do. a writer. Yeah. Is that what you know about her? Yes. Okay. So Mary was born on April 27th, 1759. Wrong. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, no. In Spitalfields, London. Spitalfields. <laughs> oh, my God. No, it is Spitalfields. <laughs> you know what you did, London. 
Uh, she was the second of seven children born to Elizabeth and Edward John Wollstonecraft. Although her family had a comfortable income when she was born, her father gra- gradually squandered it all away on random projects. But men should be in control of yeah. all he the money. He was like, ooh, shiny object. I'm going to put my money in that. Consequently, the family became financially unstable and they were frequently forced to move during her childhood. That's a bummer. Right? The financial situation eventually became so bad that he turned over money that would have been her inheritance. So, like, she lost her inheritance in probably, like, a dowry or whatever. So, that sucks. Which was a big deal at the time because you don't marry the person. You marry for, you know, what they come with. Their accessories. Exactly. See, back then, baggage was a good thing. It was actually suitcases full of money. Or wild, like if you if you're in a more urban area, it would be like pigs and chickens, or not urban suburb. I was like suburban. What kind of city do you live in? Rural, rural. yeah, the rural. <laughs> um, so, uh, in addition to her dad spending all their money, he was also known to beat his wife God, what when a he got waffle. drunk. Fuck him to the point where. When she was a teenager, Mary would lie outside of her mother's door to protect her. Oh, my God. Um, And she would eventually go on to play, like, a similar maternal-style role for her two sisters. Iverni. Is it Iverny? Everina. 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 We're going to go with Everina and Eliza. Oh, I like those names. Eliza needs to come back. That's a great name. Yeah, I, I really like that name. For example, a defining moment in her relationship with her sister Eliza was when she convinced her, Eliza, who was probably su- suffering from postpartum depression, to leave her husband an infant. Mary made all the arrangements for Eliza to flee, demonstrating her willingness to chan- challenge the social norms. However, the human costs that her sister suffered were very high. Her, su- her sister suffered from social condemnation because obviously she wasn't able to remarry because she was already married. Yeah. Um, and she ended up basically doomed to a life of poverty and hard work. Oh, no. Well, so. here's the thing about that. It, it, she was damned if she did and damned if she didn't. Exactly. If she's in a shitty marriage. But Mary was like, you know what? I'm depressed and miserable. It's like, okay, either I live this life or... And that was society punishing her, especially as a woman who left her husband and her child. Right. Like, Mainly her husband. Oh, yeah. But uh, so there's this weird little um, statistical quirk in mm-hmm. the justice system. So when men are convicted of killing a child, so say like a, a father shakes their baby or something, they actually will get typically get fewer years or less time in prison than a woman who does the same thing because we expect men to be violent and not to be good with children or to care for their children but a woman that's her fucking job that's why she's on this earth you failed your prime directive you push them out and then you take care of them and so and I'm like, man, I'm sorry. Isn't like just anyone murdering their child a bad thing? Right? Like, like, can we all just agree? <laughs> terrible, regardless of who you are. Instead of being like, well, I mean, it was a guy, so like, yeah, I, you can blame him. Maternal. Oh, yeah, like, like I mean, it was actually we should try the woman for leaving him alone with the child in the first place because everyone knows men cannot handle screaming Jeez. babies. Jeez. So Mary's life was shaped by two friendships early in her life. The first was with a woman named Jane Arden. Do I like that name? I do, too. 
The two would frequently read books together and would attend lectures that um, Jane's father would do, who was a philosopher and a scientist, self-styled. Like, he, he you know, self-proclaimed, but he would give lectures. Were, um, were they, like, frequenting the sewing circles, or were they friends? They were friends. Oh, okay. Um, Mary uh, reveled in the intellectual atmosphere that was the Arden's household and highly valued her friendship with Jane. Sometimes to the point of point of being emotionally possessive, not like in love, but like just like it seems like like maybe she was a little insecure with the friendship. Exactly. Like, oh man, this could like Jane could wake up, realize I'm, terrible, I'm not that yeah. great to hang around with. I mean, dude, I think we've all been there. Yeah. Like, oh, I definitely have. I re- when I first met you, I was like, oh my god, she's way too cool to be my friend, and now. Now I'm I have still moments like, like when that is she going to realize yeah. she's too cool to be my friend? I like, have those moments. I'm like, Emily's just going to wake up and be like, well, I have Tyranny and Paula and they're better. So, and I'm going to be like, oh, well, I am working on isolating myself from people who I love because that makes Christmas a little easier, less shit to buy. So right? you just <laughs> wait until like February and then you pick up all your friendships again. Yeah. I do. I throw a fit like Black Friday for me is the day that I like weed out all my emotional connections. And then and then beginning of February, because my birthday is in late February, I start rekindling everything. (laughs) So our podcast takes a break during those months. Do you want to come over and give me presents? Yeah, exactly. So in a lot of Mary's letters to Arden or to Jane, she reveals that the like her writing tends to reveal that she was probably depressed and like had very volatile emotions um and it would con- you'd see those in her writings throughout her whole life because that's not really something that goes away and that makes sense because she came from such an unhappy home right the second important friendship was with fanny francis blood so her real name was francis but her name is fanny blood yeah god everyone has cool names right and mary credits Fanny with opening her mind and we'll we'll hear more about her later. So unhappy with her home life, Mary struck out on her own in 1778 and accepted being a lady's companion. So I think that's like a maid or like a uh, like an assistant kind of handmaiden. Yep. So she accepted being a companion to Sarah Dawson, who was a widow living in Bath. Um, however, Mary had a hard time getting along with Sarah because she was easily angered and, you know, wasn't really great to work for. Did, was Sarah a bitch? Yeah. Was Sarah a Karen? Yeah. <laughs> and two years later, um, Mary ended up returning home to care for her dying mother. After her mother died, she decided not to go back to work for Sarah and instead uh, moved in with Fanny and her family. Okay. Um, she realized that during the two years that she spent with Fanny and the Blood family, um, they were more invested in traditional family values than Mary herself was. So that caused a slight rift, but she did remain dedicated to to Fanny and the Blood family throughout her life and would actually frequently send them monetary assistance. You know why? Why? Because blood is thicker than water. <laughs> You've been waiting for that, haven't you? <laughs> Oh, my God. I don't know why anyone listens to us. Like, Emily, shut the fuck up. (laughs) It's okay. I thought it was funny. Oh, that's the point. This is for us. During this time frame, Mary envisioned living in a female utopia with with Fanny. They made plans to rent rooms together and support each other emotionally and financially, but this dream soon collapsed under economic realities. In order to make a living, Mary, her sisters, and Fanny... Uh, set up a school together in Newington Green, which was a dissenting, like a community that kind of lived outside normal standards. 
Okay, so they were like, um, not like a commune. No, they, and but this, like, like they didn't. They were kind of on the fringes. They yeah. were kind of off doing their own thing. Okay. Yeah, they're you know just like a community that kind of went against the norm. Like, and they didn't start it. They just started a school there. So there's like a bunch of VW buses and yeah, it exactly. smells like pot. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Uh, Fanny soon became engaged and um, married Hugh Skays, um, who took her to Lisbon, Portugal to improve her health because she had always kind of been a sickly kid. Um, I, seriously, can we get scripts for yeah, vacations? Because right? I need this. <laughs> Despite the change in surroundings, Fanny's health further deteriorated when she became pregnant. And in 1785, Mary left the school. And went to be Fanny's nurse. Oh. Unfortunately, her abandoning the school led to its failure. Because, you know, only like two people were left to care for it. Oh, that sucks. And then Fanny also ended up dying. Oh, no. Which obviously devastated Mary and was uh, was part of the inspiration for her first novel, which was called Mary, a fiction. Was she was she still pregnant or was it, it like... It didn't I- say. Okay. I'm going to history head canon that she either died during or after childbirth. Okay. Like, I want little blood right. <laughs> to live on. Right. After Fanny's death in 1785, Mary's friends helped her obtain a position as a governess for the Kingsborough family in Ireland. Um, although she didn't get along with the, the, the lady of the house, Lady Kingsborough, uh, the children found her in, an inspiring instructor and Margaret King one of the daughters, would later say, quote, she had freed her mind from all superstitions. It seems like Mary is uh, maybe a little more progressive than yeah. oh, everyone around much. her. And maybe b- even maybe by not everyone, but well, uh, 90% of people. And even I bet by our standards, we would consider her either like on the level or even maybe a little more conservative. Mm-hmm. But for the time, it seems like she had she some really way out there. Well, it seemed like she had some really lofty ideas of female empowerment and independence, oh, yeah. it, and like it, that comes around. Maybe again. don't give up your life for a man who treats you like shit. Right? Crazy concepts. Frustrated by the limited career options open to respectable yet poor women, she decided after only a year of a governess to embark upon a career as an author, which was a radical choice. Like that was a huge thing. Because very, very few women at this time could support themselves by writing. Yeah. She got kind of lucky. Um, She was assisted by a a liberal publisher named Joseph Johnson, which was good for her, who helped her find a place to live and work other than writing to support herself. And she affectionately called him Joe John. Yes. (laughs) She learned French and German and translated texts. She also wrote reviews um, of novels, primarily for Johnson's... um, uh, magazine that he ran so like that's how she's getting work and she would also attend his famous dinners which included a lot of luminaries of the time such as thomas Paine and william godwin wow yeah seriously everyone had the best last blood pain even wollstonecraft is right? like, know, like that's a, that's a name um i'd marry someone for that name right <laughs> uh so while in london mary pursued a relationship with the artist henry fuseli uh, even though he was already married oh no she was and she wrote quote the grandeur of his soul the quickness of comprehension and lovely sympathy of his is what made her fall in love with him she proposed a platonic living arrangement with fusilli and his wife but but oh. the wife was appalled <laughs> yeah and he broke off the relationship with her i mean like 
I gotta respect that. Okay. Right. I like that I, she I was like, to. guys, it'll be platonic. I just want to live with you. Yeah. No. 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 Totally cool. Yeah. And and here's the thing. Maybe she was more radical than we're thinking. Right, exactly. I mean, I mean, polyamory and uh, having multiple long-term partners is becoming more normalized. Right. But yeah, her, the, the wife is definitely not cool with that. Right. Um, so after the, the rejection, Mary decided to travel to France to escape the humiliation and to participate in the revolutionary events that had started happening in France. And she and Alain de Gouge sat down and wrote some plays and they right. were hanging out in BFFs. She did write around this time a book called Rights of Men. It was in response to... Uh, M.P. Edmund Burke's politically conservative critique of the French Revolution, and it made her famous overnight. You know, it's okay. Alain de Gouges wrote um, basically a declaration of the rights of women in response to something that had been written by a man where yep. it was the Declaration of the Rights of Men. Because it was basically like the yep. new revolutionary constitution and Alam's like, where are the women at? Like, what's going on? Right. So it's so I'm wondering if Mary was also writing a critique on the same document. That's like, where are we? And it reminds me of that bit in Hamilton where they're like, when I see Thomas Jefferson, I'm going to convince him to put women in the sequel. Nice. Oh, we need to watch that together. It's on That's Disney funny. Plus. I know. I have to watch. I haven't. I've never seen Hamilton. I I haven't either, but I've listened to the soundtrack yeah. many we'll times. I need to actually. We need to jam out to this wine and drink and watch Hamilton. There you go. So the guy wrote his book, which was Reflections on the Revolution in France, uh, and it was published on November November first, nineteen or seventeen ninety. And it so angered Mary that she spent the rest of the month writing her rebuttal piece. Oh, my God. It was called A Vindication of the Rights of Men in a Letter to the Right Honorable Edmund Burke. That is the full title. And it was published on November 29, 1790. Initially anonymously, however, they published a second edition in December, and the publisher revealed that Mary was the author. Okay. That remind. Do you ever, like, get really mad at someone via text and you write this whole scathing reply and then you just like delete it all yep like not doing this not fucking engaging unless you're just so angry that you're like fuck this i'm sending it anyways yes i i mean we've all and then you that. walk away from we've all phone. hit send and then you walk your walk away from your phone and you're like i'll deal with the response later yeah i'm gonna get some wine first right so mary at this time was compared to uh with such leading lights as the theologian and contraful is contra Virtualist, James Priestley and Payne, who I already mentioned, which Payne was the person who wrote Rights of Man that you just mentioned that Alain de Gouge responded oh, to. Oh, okay. He was all, is this, this is the same Thomas Payne then who wrote the, um, oh shit, what were they called? Uh, someone with the American Revolution. Like, give me liberty or give me yeah, death. I think, I think so. Okay. God, was um, that the rights of man? I don't know history. Why no, am I on this it podcast? Just says, she, it says pain whose rights of man would prove to be the most popular response to Burke. Okay. So I guess it could be a different rights of man than the Alain de Gouge rights of man. Maybe. Um, so Mary then went on to pursue the ideas that she had outlined in her book. He wrote Common Sense. Thomas Paine wrote Common Sense. Yeah, there we go. That was the thing I'm trying to think of. Everyone can stop yelling at me now. I Googled it. <laughs> I guess, yeah. But it's interesting because Mary's book was also called Vindication of the Rights of Men. So, yeah. 
I don't know. But so after she wrote Vindication of the Rights of Men, she went on to write A Vindication of the Rights of Women, which became her most famous and influential work. Love it. Which is great. Um, and, at this, and this time, her work even extended across the English Channel um, when a French statesman, Charles Maurice de Tallyonder Perigaud, visited London. Jesus. That was a, in you handled 1792, that And he visited her, during which she asked that French girls be given the same right as education as French, French boys. You know what I love? So we we hear this all the time when we're talking about history, especially the sins of the past. Right. And how it is unfair to judge the actions of people from the past based on modern sensibilities. And I understand that because customs, culture, everything was different. Right. But at the same time, that is the point of history. We are judging the past to learn from it and understand, okay, how did we get here? And how can we turn the tide? Because there were people at the time, this is what, 1800s? 17? Yeah, so the late 1792 is where Yeah, we're late at. 1700s, France, and people are saying, hey, maybe women should get the same educational opportunities as men. And just no one, everyone resisted it. So think about that now. Change is happening. People are pussing, pussing, fuck. People are pushing towards more progressive ideals and reform. And the more you resist it, guys, you're you're just like these people at that time. Yeah. Where it's like, it's hey, we could have already dealt with this. Yeah. We're all just wasting time by being, you know, pissy. Like, yeah, do this. Right. Well, fuck you. So Mary left for Paris in December of 1792 and arrived about a month before Louis XVI was guillotined. Mm. That's a good time to get out. <laughs> right? Well, no, she went to France. Oh, I thought she peaced out. No, Britain and, so she went she to left, see it? She left Britain for France. Britain and France at this time were also on the brink of war when she left, mm-hmm. and many had advised her not to go. Yeah, fair. She sought out other British visitors when she got there um, and joined a circle of expa- expatriates then in the city. During her time in Paris, Mary associated mostly with the Gir- Girondins rather than the radical Jake. Jacobins, which were like the two revolutionary factions in France at the time. I think I get a little bit into them in episode one when I cover Alain de Gouge, but there were Probably. so many factions who had different ideas, and it was it, it was, was a mess. lot. Yeah. It was a nine-page story, guys. So on December 26, 1792, Mary saw the former king, Louis XVI, being taken and tried before the National Assembly, and much to her own surprise, found, quote, the tears flowing insensibly from my eyes when I saw... Louis sitting there with more dignity than I expected from his character in a hackney coach going to meet death where so many of his race have triumphed. Wow. I feel I have to say that's got to be even if you really hate someone to see another person die. You never really I don't think you ever know how you're going to feel or react until. But it is like a lot of people have a lot of respect for people like Louis the 16th and Marie Antoinette because they went to their death so gracefully with dignity you yeah. know they weren't crying they weren't screaming they weren't like oh don't do this I didn't do anything wrong like they were just like you know what you want to kill me let's do this let's do this let's get the show on the road exactly I have an afterlife to get on <laughs> in February of 1793 France declared war on Britain 
Um, and Mary tried to leave France for Switzerland, but was denied permission. Oh. In March, the Jacobean-dominated Committee of the Public Safety came to power, instituting a totalitarian regime meant to mobilize France in this in a total war, is what they wanted. Oh, jeez. Life became very, very difficult for foreigners in France at this time. At first, they were put under police surveillance, and in order to get residency, had to produce six written statements from French people testifying their loyalty to the new republic. Oh, God. Then in April of 1793, all foreigners were forbidden to leave France. And despite her sympathy for the revolution, life for Mary became very uncomfortable, all the more so because she had supported a different group that had lost to the, the Jacobians who were currently in power. Yeah. Man, if I were her, I'd just be walking around like someone says hi. I'd just be like, voulez-vous coucher avec moi? Right. <laughs> Having just written The Rights of Women, uh, Mary was determined to put her ideas to the test and in, simu- in stimulating intellectual atmosphere of the French Revolution, she attempted her most experimental romantic attachment yet. Ooh. She met and fell passionately in love with Gilbert Imlay, an American adventurer. Mary put her own principles in practice by sleeping with him, even though they were not married, which was unacceptable behavior for a quote-unquote respectable British woman. She had even mentioned that before. She was poor because her dad blew all her money, but she was respectable. Right. Whether or not she was interested in in marriage to him, it is known that he was not interested in marriage at all. Well, he was a rough, roguish adventurer who Mm -hmm. needs to go climb mountains and, you know, raid tombs and such. Um, and he was a very idealistic man that she fell in love with. And despite uh, her rejection of the sexual component of relationships and the rights of women. So like in in her book, she was kind of like she kind of didn't touch on that, you know. But Mary discovered that Gilbert awakened her interest in sex. OK, so she wasn't super into it. And yeah, probably because she never had it. And then she was like, oh, never mind. I like this. This is good. Not to say if you have a lack of interest in sex, you just haven't no, not had at good all. sex or you need I'm just to saying try in it this once. One in this specific instance. case, I, I kind of get that. I um like I grew up, I've lived most of my life with zero interest in sex. It wasn't until I had like a right? really strong emotional connection with another person that I was like, yeah, this is cool. This is good. I like Don't this. think I could do it with any like. No, like, exactly. I would have I'm to build that way. connection again. Yeah. Mary was offended by the Jacobean's treatment of the women around her. They refused to grant women equal rights, denounced, quote unquote, Amazons, which were, I think, like strong, empowered women, um, and made it clear that women were supposed to conform to be ideal helpers of men. Why did they have the revolution again? Because they didn't like Louis XVI. Can can we just say, like, this is why revolutions and uprisings and movements all need to be inclusive, because this was just a bunch of middle class Frenchmen who were like, I don't want my rights infringed upon. Everyone else can go fuck themselves, right. but I need to look out for numero uno. That's funny. Numero un. I don't know un. what number in Fran- French is. That's un. It's un no, but I said numero. Oh. Numero un. Numero un. That's funny. Um, on October 16th, 1793, Marie Antoinette was guillotined. Among her charges and convictions, she was found guilty of having commit- committed incest with her son, Though Mary disliked the former queen, she was troubled that the Jacobeans would make Marie Antoinette's alleged perverse sexual acts one of the central reasons for the French people to hate her, which I find interesting. I just want to say I really highly doubt she was 
having she had so many chances to sleep with like so many other guys i really don't think she would have gone for her son well and like i I guess not necessarily about sexual gratification but they they did this to ann valin too where they're like she's fucking her brother right they just they want they want a reason for people to hate them when there isn't really one because then she's being a sexual person but she's also betraying her one role as a mother the one thing she was put on this earth to do exactly as the daily arrests and execution of the Reign of Terror began, Mary came under suspicion. She was, after all, a British citizen known for being a friend of the Girondins. I really don't know how to pronounce that word, so I'm just I guessing. I don't remember. On the 31st of October, 1793, most of the leaders of the Girondins were guillotined when Imlay, or Gilbert, her lover. Her Indiana Jones-esque yeah. lover. I like to picture um, Harrison Ford. Nope. Uh, the guy from The Mummy. Oh, uh, Brendan Fraser. Yeah. That, oh. That's who I. That's who I'm picturing. Oh shit. Yeah, exactly. Oh man. Okay. You know what I said about having to build a strong emotional connection? I feel uh, I never have a strong mind. emotional <laughs> connection with '90s Brendan Fraser. Right. Um. So when Gilbert <laughs> broke the news that most of the leader, the leaders of that, you know, that she followed, were dead, she fainted. By this time, Gilbert was taking advantage of the British blockade of France, which had caused shortages and worsening ever-growing inflation. Um, what would he he would charter ships to bring food and soap from America, dodge the British Royal Navy, and then you know get goods that he could sell at a premium to the French. Okay, who so still had money? Now he's kind he's of being Han an asshole. Solo. Yeah, well, he was kind he's of being a an smuggler. asshole though because he wasn't giving it like to the poor or anything like that. He yeah, was, but Han Solo's an asshole. That's true. <laughs> Gilbert's blockade running gained the respect and the support of some of the Jacobins because you know they just want what's best for France, kind of. Um, ensuring as he had hoped that he had his freedom during the reign of terror. So he, he didn't come under suspicion, even though he was an American to protect Mary from arrest. Gilbert made a false statement to the U S embassy in Paris saying that he had married her automate automatically making her an American citizen. Oh, some of her friends, unfortunately were not so lucky. Uh, many like Thomas Paine were arrested and some were even guillotined. Oh my God. Thomas Paine, I don't believe was. I thought Thomas Paine ended up in the Tower of London at some point. There was yeah, some... he was he was arrested, and then it says some were even guillotined. So yeah. I don't think they're saying he was guillotined. Oh no, saying... no, no, no! But there there was some famous uh, American revolutionary who ended up in the Tower of London at some Thomas point. Thomas Paine was English. Well, yeah, but oh, a lot of them were. <laughs> that was the that was kind of the the deal. Well, they said American. I was like, oh no, Thomas Paine was English. I, I said American Revolution. Oh yeah. This is the French Revolution, though. Well, I I know, but God damn it, Kelly. <laughs> I feel like I'm being very clear. <laughs> I know. I'm just teasing you. Mary would soon become pregnant by Gilbert. And on May 14th, she gave birth to her first child, who she named Fanny. Oh, little Fanny Blood Jr. Uh, Mary was overjoyed and she wrote to a friend, quote, my girl begins to suck so manfully that her father reckons saucily on her writing the second part of the rights of women. And apparently... She actually did, like, emphasize the word manfully, which is interesting. That is amazing. Because the source, like, made sure to write emphasis hers. Like, she did emphasize this. Oh, it wasn't my God. just us. Um, she did continue to write avidly after her daughter was born, even though, you know, she was dealing with being a, sing- uh, a single mother, technically, alone in a foreign country during the French Revolution. God, being a single mom is already tough enough. But right? he had a, uh, the French Revolution on top of it, and things suck. Right. <laughs> she moved to La, ha- La, Harv- La Havre La Havre in northern France, and she wrote a history of the early revolution named Anne Historical, which is wrong. It's not supposed to be Anne Historical. 
That bothers me. An historical and moral view of the French Revolution. So she wrote something on the French Revolution. Um, they published it in London, though. They didn't publish it in France. Yeah. Um, Gilbert, unhappy with the domestic-minded and maternal Mary, uh, eventually left her. He promised he would he would return to her and Fanny, um, but... <laughs> But when he his, his writing kind of got delayed and he was gone for a long time, Mary was convinced that he had found someone else. I'm just going out for a pack of cigarettes. I'll be never right back. back. My God. <laughs> that is such an old right. Bit. I'm just going to go get the newspaper. Never come home. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just running at the hardware store quick. I'm just running at the yeah. gas station. Her letters just to stay. him are full of of needy, you know, needy and wanting writing. And again, critics are like, yeah, clearly she was a deeply depressed woman. Although some people say that it wasn't because she wasn't depressed. She was just a foreign woman alone with an infant in the middle of a revolution who had just seen a bunch of her friends imprisoned and executed. I'm saying it was probably both. Maybe that's why she was depressed, guys. Right. Like depression can be brought on by circumstances around you and being a recently ditched single mother in a foreign country right. when there's a revolution going on will definitely do it. Right. In July 1794, Mary welcomed the fall of the Jacobians. And predicted it would return order and freedom to France, basically. She eventually returned to Paris. And in August of 1794, um, so, so she found Gilbert. But in August of 1974, he departed for London, again, promising to return to her soon. No, 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 honey. There was a line at the gas station. The cigarettes took forever to get. Right. I, I'm just going to run out real quick. In 1793, the British government began to crack down on radicals, suspending civil liberties, imposing drastic censorship, and trying to trying for treason anyone suspected of sympathy with the revolution that had happened. So this is Britain doing this. It led Mary to worry that she was going to be imprisoned and returned to Britain to be executed. Yeah. Which thankfully didn't happen. Oh, thank God. The winter of 1794 into 1795 was the coldest winter in Europe in over a century, which reduced Mary and her daughter Fanny to desperate circumstances. It was so cold that the the sign is it Seine or sign the Seine the Seine River froze. Oh shit! Which made it impossible for ships to bring food and coal into Paris. It led to widespread starvation and many deaths in the city. Mary continued to write to Gilbert, asking him to return to France at once, obviously. Yeah, like, get me out of this frozen death trap. Right. She also declared at him that she still had had faith in the French Revolution and did not wish to return to Britain. She did, however, leave France after that winter uh, in April of 1795. But, however, she continued to refer to herself as Mrs. Imlay, even to her sister's. And to others to bestow legitimacy upon her child. Well, because it's all about the impression, really. Exactly. I, I mean, so her having sex with Harrison Ford. If no one... Brendan kn- Fraser. Brendan Fraser, Harrison Ford, Han Solo, Indiana Jones. All of them. The Some third. mixture, yeah. <laughs> um, but her having sex with him, it doesn't really mean anything if no one knows about it right but now that they have because a kid virginity is made up and your sexual history like that's your exactly. business unless you have an std in which case you know information is part of consent too yeah but yeah but if they have a kid she has to play the game otherwise exactly. she's gonna end up like poor eliza who was just fucked by society yeah, exactly so she when she left france she did decide to return to england 
I don't really know why, because she just expressed not wanting to, but she did. I bet she was just like, this is not a good scene. And she was looking for Gilbert, so maybe that's why she left to, like, find him. So, seeking him, she went to London in April of 1795, and he rejected her. He was like, no. In May of 1795, she she attempted to commit suicide. Oh. Um, They're thinking it was probably with laudanum, which is just a drug from back then. And they're saying that Gilbert saved her, though they're not really sure how, but he did, apparently. In a last attempt to win him back, she impar- she embarked on some of some business negotiations in Scandinavia for him, trying to recoup some of the losses that he'd suffered, you know, in the revolution. Mary undertook this trip on her own with only her daughter and a maid, and eventually recounted her travels and thoughts um, to Gilbert in letters, which were later published, called Letters Written During a Short Residence in Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. You know, they really just gave you everything you needed to know back then in titles. There was no intrigue. There was no metaphor. There was just, this is what this is. (laughs) Afterwards, she returned to England and came to the full realization that her relationship with with Gilbert was over and she attempted suicide for the second time. Oh, Mary. Reading the following note. Let my wrongs sleep with me. Soon, very soon, shall I be at peace. When you receive this, my burning head will be cold. I shall plunge into the Thames where there is the least chance of my being snatched from the death I seek. God bless you. May you never know by experience what you have made me endure. Should your sensibility ever awake, remorse will find its way to your heart, and in the midst of business and sensual pleasure, I shall appear before you, the victim of your deviation from rectitude. I have only to lament that when the bitterness of death was passed, I was inhumanely brought back to life and misery. But a fixed determination is not to be baffled by disappointment, nor will I allow that to be a frantic attempt, which was one of the calmest acts of reason. In this respect, I am only accountable to myself. Did I care for what was termed reputation? It is by other circumstances that I should be dishonored. She was not successful. Cool. Okay. Thank God. That th- There was a lot to unpack there. Yeah, like she has a lot going on. Like, she's clearly very angry at him for multiple reasons. And she's also mad at herself. Absolutely. I I will say I have always uh, really hated the the blaming that can come in suicide notes. Right. That's... Yeah, it's not good. I I feel like I'm not even going to pass judgment on this whole situation. It seems like everyone just needs to get their shit together and get some very much needed help. So she wasn't successful and, you know, life kind of picked up as as it does. And gradually she got back into writing and her literary life. You know, she was back in London. So she became involved with Joseph Johnson's circle again of all these, you know, creative people. She met Mary Hayes, Elizabeth Itchbald, and Sarah Siddons, you know, reconnected with William Good- Godwin and, like, all those people. And then Godwin and Mary began a very unique courtship. It was slow, but it eventually became a very lo- passionate love affair. And what's interesting about it is when they met all those years ago in London, like, they did not like each other. Like, did not like each other. Like, he wanted to talk to Payne, and she was just, like nitpicking at all of his ideas like oh my god so like they started out with a really bad dynamic but this second time they apparently really connected um to the point where williams said that he had read her letters written in sweden norway and denmark and wrote quote if ever there was a book calculated to make a man in love with its author this appears to me to be the book she speaks of her sorrows in a way that fills us with melancholy and dissolves us in tenderness at the same time that she displays a genius which commands all of our admiration. End quote. Wow, Jared needs to step up his yeah, game. Yeah, right? Oh my Justin God. to write something about that. That's hot. 
right? That's hot. I love that. I know. It's like, whoo. Oh, my God. Not only, like, you're complimenting my genius and my writing, and whoo. (laughs) And you go take a cold shower. See, here's, there's that. And then there's me and Jared's relationship. We started doing something today. He was telling me uh, there, there's some kind of psychological effect. And these numbers are, numbers are kind of arbitrary, but they're meant to illustrate a point. If, you, if you're in a relationship where there's one negative thing for every five positive things, whether like experiences, yeah, it's so going to fail because it's too negative. The negative to positive ratio is not enough. One but, negative to five positives? Yeah, because well, okay. one negative sits with us so yep. deeply. It takes so, a lot so of what, positivity. Yeah, yep. But then on the other end, if you're in a relationship where there are about 11 positive experiences to every negative experience, it will still fail because it's too happy. You're you, waiting for that other shoe to drop. Well, and you never, you never really leave the puppy love stage and guys anyone who's in a long-term relationship kind of misses the puppy love stage but you also recognize now how shallow but it's it was true because you look at people that have been together like three or four years and they're like oh we've never had a fight and you're like that's not right yeah that's not normal yeah absolutely and it, and like and at you're the like, first you're sign of conflict it. it's gonna crumble so there needs to be this kind of happy medium it's like, it's like seven positives to a negative well <laughs> I, I was telling Jared, i was like let's aim for like 10 <laughs> just one below that 11 yeah but uh now we've been doing this thing that's back funny. and forth where i'll be like i love you asshole sorry the ratio was off that's that's fantastic (laughs) so even like because we already nitpick at each other in a very loving way mixed with like oh i love you oh yeah you know just like you're very sweet thank you for being you right and so now every time we're like being shitty to each other is like sorry the ratio was off that's super funny (laughs) but that is nothing like that beautiful fucking like poetry that that dude wrote I thought I was having this cute little relationship and I'm just like on denial island. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, So as their relationship progressed, Mary became pregnant and they decided to marry so that their child would be legitimate, which is nice. Uh, Their marriage, however, revealed the fact that Mary had not been married before. Oh. Which as a result, the couple lost many friends um, and William had previously written that he advocated for the abolish of abolishment of the the establishment of marriage yeah it should um, be your choice and so and they have no he bearing. received a lot of criticism because he was like well y- you don't believe in marriage why are you getting married type of a thing yeah um but they went ahead with it because it's more they, of the they're in love pressure. and yeah and it's, it's to legitimize their child yeah. um so they were married in march 29th of 1797 they moved to um the polygon in Somerstown, and i think this is cute William also rented an apartment 20 doors away from their home as a study so that they could both retain their independence. And they often communicated by letters, I assume, just to be cute. Well, I mean, he was really good at it. And Um, apparently she was, too. By all accounts, theirs was a happy and stable relationship. Oh, I'm so happy for her. Right. On August 30th, 1979, uh, Mary gave birth to her second daughter, Mary. Although the the initial delivery seemed to go well, the placenta broke apart during the birth and became infected. Oh, no. Childbed fever, which was common and often fatal, uh, which w- this, this is that's what it was. It was a childbed fever. That's what it was known as. Um, it, and it was common in this time and often fatal. Um, after several days of agony, Mary died of septicemia on the 10th of September. Which Mary... Mary, Mary, or Mary, baby Mary. Mary, Mary, Mary. I'm like, I thought no, baby se- Mary. I know se- who se- baby Mary is. Septicemia, um, because the placenta broke apart. Oh shit! God damn. Yep. Uh, that's, Will- why, William- that's why baby Mary turned out to be such a little goth. Who was her daughter? 
Mary Shelley. Oh, really? Yeah. Holy shit. Oh, that, wait. No, I did know that. <laughs> I was like, Kelly, I know that's in your notes. I it feel is. it. It is. It's, in, she would it's like, in my um legacy. Because she would like lay on her mother's grave. Yeah. It was, and, she like, was very dramatic. I my god um she's too famous for us to cover but well, it I makes just wanna, it like, makes it makes sense that her um writing was so good i mean damn look at her dad's writing her dad and her mom yeah i know it's but i meant like blood. i meant like yeah. the poems like so william was obviously devastated and he, and he wrote to a friend of his quote i firmly believe there does not exist her equal in the world I know from experience we were formed to make each other happy. I have not the least expectation that I can now ever know happiness again. End quote. She had a rough time. And it's really nice spent... to know that she found someone at the end, I though, know, that just loved but, her. Like, it sucks so much that she spent all that time with Gregory, who was... Right. He he was definitely not he, looking for the same thing. She just kind of like she followed was. him around because yeah. she, she wanted and it. Yeah. She uh, attempted suicide. So and like she's finally like stable and happy. I and, know, and but then she dies. God damn it! Childbirth. Here's the thing: in any story from like Victorian era or the 1800s or early 1900s, if you have two people who are very happy and in love, the second that woman gets pregnant, you know she's going to die. Right. Because that is the tragedy. Right. <laughs> Every time. She was buried at Old St. Pancras Churchyard, where her tombstone reads, quote, Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin, author of A Vindication of the Rights of Women, born 27th of April, 1795, died 10th of September, 1797. Goddamn. Um, so there were several memoirs published after her death. Um, wait, memoirs? Yeah, that's what they call it. memoirs written by Godwin William. Sorry. Oh, okay. William wrote a memoir. Okay, after she died. After, cool. um, and he felt that he was portraying his wife with love, compassion, and sincerity. Where many readers were shocked that he would reveal his wife's illegitimate child, love affairs, and suicide attempts. So, like, he was like, "No, I'm writing about my wife, and this is all of her." And people are like, "The fuck, dude." Dude, fuck them. Because you know how many people were reading that and were like, oh, shit, I'm not alone. Right. I have also I struggled know. with these things. One one, po one poet accused him of, quote, the want of all feeling in stripping his wife, his dead wife naked. It's like, uh. I, here's, I, for, for the time, I totally get where they're coming from because I, I guess if I died... I maybe wouldn't be cool with someone talking about like, oh my God, let me talk about all the things she did that maybe she doesn't want everyone to know. Right. But it seems to me that Mary was pretty, uh, I, I know she lied about being married, but it seemed like she was pretty open and she was very vocal and she was, everyone already knew she had a child out of wedlock. Right. Like, and you know, she had gotten married to the Scott and like, uh, right. I don't I know. know. It's, it's dumb. It's sensibilities, you know. It's a, it's exactly. A thing. Exactly. It um, seems to me he was trying to do right by her and right. be honest, which I really respect. Right. So a British poet went on to write uh, something called Wallstone and Fuseli, which was, I know I talked about him, but I don't remember what it was. I think he was a painter or something. Oh, yeah. She was into him. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, uh, this poem includes the lines, hard was thy fate in all the scenes of life as daughter, sister, mother, friend, and wife, but harder still thy fate in death we own, thus mourned by Godwin with a heart of stone. Like, ooh, that's, that's rough. Yeah. So as we mentioned, her daughter 
is Mary Shelley, who became a famous author in her own right. Using her own name. Yes. Well, right? That, no, that's her married name. Well, no, but oh. she, she wasn't publishing under a male pseudonym. No. I think she... She might have. She might have at some point, but I believe Frankenstein... But I mean, her mom, her mom never published under her uh, male pseudonym. Oh, that's right. Which was a risky thing at the yep. time. But what was cute is... So if, if you want to view... Not view her body, but view her tomb, uh, do not go to Old St. Pancras Churchyard because she's not there anymore. In 1851, her remains were moved by her grandson, Percy Florence Shelley, to his family tomb in St. Peter's Church in Bournemouth. Her monument in the churchyard lies to the northeast of the church, just north of Sir John Sowen's grave. Her husband was buried there with him upon his death in 1836, as was his second wife, Mary Jane Godwin. (laughs) That's a bit odd. But I suppose, like, <laughs> Mary, I know Mary was such a common name, but I like, know it's so funny. So you got to think for Marys, huh? <laughs> um, okay, so legacy. Besides the whole Mary, like Mary Shelley being her daughter, which yeah. is an amazing legacy, because she of was itself. a badass. Um, she has several plaques. Um, pr- one was um at near the site of the school that she and her sisters and Fanny set up. Well, it's it's a school that's there now. That's near where their school was set up. Okay. Um, and that, that was had, revealed in yeah. 2011. And it's known as the Newton, Newington Green Primary School. As a, as opposed to the Oldington. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, she has a few plaques on various like homes she's lived in. London is very big for that. If you ever go to London, you'll just like be walking around the town and be like, bronze plaque, bronze plaque. This person lived here. This person lived there. Like That place is just a, a hotbed thing. of history. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she has one, um, like where she grew up, uh, where her final home was, near her final home, you know. Um, she has, she wrote a whole bunch of books. I'm not going to read them all because there's a lot. She was obviously an activist as well. Um, and after the devastating effect of Godwin's memoirs, Mary's reputation lay in tatters for nearly a century. Oh no! However, she was pyloried by writers such as Maria Edgeworth, who patterned the quote unquote freakish Harriet Freck in Belinda. I don't know what book that is. After her. Other novelists such as Mary Hayes, Charlotte Turner Smith, Fanny Burney, and Jane West created similar figures all to teach quote-unquote moral lessons to their readers. So she was kind of used as like a don't be like this woman. Yeah, she was was like the titular uh, fallen woman archetype. Um, And what's interesting is one of these uh, Jane, uh, not Jane West, Mary Hayes, who wrote one of these characters was actually a close friend of Mary Wollenstone Craft oh, and bitch. helped nurse her in her dying days. I don't know if they like it says I don't know like created I maybe because I don't know who Harriet Frick is like I don't know what she's if like. If it was a positive Yeah, or it doesn't thing. like when they say freakish it makes me think not. Yeah, I, like how can that be your friend who you nurse and then you like create yeah, it's, a character it's judgmental based off views of their... because it says my next my next thing says there was one writer of the generation after Mary who apparently did not share the judgmental views of her contemporaries. Jane Austen ah! never mentioned the woman by name, but several of her her novels contain positive allusions to Mary's work. Which is great. Well, Jane Austen was pretty revolutionary, even if people did not recognize it at the time. Right. Um, And they're saying, like, in Pride and Prejudice, Mr. Wickham seems to be based upon the sort of man that Mary wrote about that standing armies produce. And, um, you know, also, she was very much about the balance a woman must strike between feelings and reason. And that's a big point in Sense and Sensibility. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, like you see it in a lot of Jane Austen's writing and a lot of people say that her characterization of Anne Elliot, who if you've, which book is that? Anne Elliot. Persuasion. Oh. I haven't read that one. That's probably why I don't I have not heard of that one. But apparently the, so apparently Anne Elliot is in the book is better qualified than her father to manage the family estate. And that's like another thing that um one mary probably experienced in real life because her dad sucked at it but also like was something mary talked a lot about was that you know women can handle stuff i feel like uh, maybe it's based off of persuasion or maybe it's along that same line but i feel like there's a play like that where a woman shit i think we talked about there was a play uh, that one of our women wrote where basically it's a woman and like two or three brothers and the father is leaving the estate to the brothers even though the woman is much more competent and so she has to like you know finagle her way into right. getting the estate and everything over her brothers and yeah. it may involve murder I don't know so one scholar states that few people read Mary's works during the 19th century, quote, as her attackers implied or stated that no self-respecting woman would read her work, which is stupid. If readers were few, then many, many of those few readers were inspired. Such readers as Elizabeth Barrett Browning, who read the, who read the rights of women at age 12 and whose poem Aurora Lay reflects um, Mary's unwavering focus on education Lucretia Mott and Elizabeth Cady Statton, Americans who met, who met in 1840 at the World uh, Anti-Slavery Convention, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton was huge in the women's rights movement in America, mm-hmm. um, discovered that they had both read uh, Mary Wollstonecraft, and they agreed upon the need for the Seneca Falls Convention. So, like, yeah. her writing sparked that. That is amazing. Other people, like, there's a bunch of names. I'm not going to read them all. But, like, a a bunch of other people were also, like, very inspired by this reading, even though that a lot of scholars say during that time not many people were reading them. Yeah, but it seems like maybe when they were... The influential people were reading them. Well, and here's the thing. A lot of women were reading them. And so it's like, well, when... But that's what they were saying shouldn't read them. They were like, any well when any well to do woman shouldn't read these books. Whatever. I love they they're they're just trying to shame women into not getting woke. Mary's work eventually like resurfaced with the rise of the movement to give women a political voice, obviously, because like she kind of stood out. The first one that kind of got republished was her letters to Imlay, and then by a full length biography written by Elizabeth Robbins Pinnell, and then like the rest of her work kind of came back to the surface especially like the rights of women with the women's women's right suffrage and everything like that um and the advent of in the advent with this modern feminist movement um a lot of other people like virginia wolf and emma goldman started embracing mary's life story as well virginia wolf described her described mary her writing and her arguments and quote experiments in living as immortal quote she is alive and active. She argues and experiments. We hear her voice and trace her influence even now among the living. You know, what's really cool about that is as you're telling Mary's story, I was like, this reminds me so much of Virginia Woolf. Yeah, and she was obviously very in- influenced by it. Other people still contem- you know, continue to d- demean Mary's lifestyle and her choice to like, you know, and it was stupid her life is only getting more normalized but, as time but yeah, goes as on as these feminist criticisms like came to like she's become more well accepted and more like yeah she did her own thing like she was kind of one of the initial feminists yeah she is included in the dinner party 
which we haven't yeah. talked about for a while. Actually. Oh my god, it's been a while. Um, and she it, she actually has a place setting. She's not just on the floor. Which I mean, if you're on the floor, that's still a huge thing. Like it I doesn't mean, mean anything less. But we're uh, not even Mary Wollenstonecraft does have a full um, place set set for her. That is super cool. And then yeah, obviously her work still affects um, feminism and really a whole bunch of stuff like. She's still around. And then, yeah, obviously there's been more statues and plaques erected. So, yeah, that's Mary Wollenstonecraft. See, I love that I think because it's mostly I knew, an upper. I knew Mary, I knew who Mary Wollenstonecraft was. I knew she was a writer. I knew she was Mary right. Shelley's mother. Um, I kind of like, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, like, huh, you know, Victorian era writer. Right, you know like, who or, she is. Or, you know, that. You know, but I didn't her, know not her, about her. Exactly. I didn't know her story. So I was very excited to hear it because I see her name come up a lot right. because we obviously and she was the one I was going to do last things. week. So then I was like, it's really long and I didn't have the time. Yeah. And now you know. Why. See, well, at least I'm not getting bummed out this week. I right. don't think I could have handled your no. story last week today. No, I agree. Fuck. It's been a rough week. I was even telling Jared about that. I was like, man, I've cried during my stories. I've never like welled up during Kelly's. It was. I have hard. during like one or two of yours, but it's not often. Yeah. Like we, we usually, even our hard hitting stories usually aren't that hard hitting. That one was. And like I said, I like when I finished it, I was almost like, maybe I shouldn't do this one. This one might be like too heavy. I'm so glad you did though. Cause we the gotta, hard stories are everything. really important to tell because right. they're hard. Emily, what are you thankful for? She just gave me a look like, really, you're going to make me do this? Okay. I am thankful because Jared and I got to go on a walk today. And then on our way back to, you know, back home, we stopped at like our favorite little coffee food place and picked up some vegan food. So he paid for lunch and that was really nice. It's the little things. I also got my state park pass. Yay. So I, I, uh, last weekend I went I just to, used mine I went to one of the state parks and it was, it was a ton of fun. And I was like playing in the river and cause I brought my Crocs and I was like, woo. And then I had to run away from a Turkey. Yeah. So we're, so I'm going down this path and it, I, I was with a friend and we see these little chicks, mm-hmm. like these brown and black chicks. And we're like, what are those? What the fuck are? Because they're kind of. And kinda, then the mom was like, "Get the fuck away from my kids!" Well, thankfully it wasn't that intense. But as as we're like following the chicks down this path, I'm kind of like, I, you know, I wonder what those are. I'm like, I wonder where mom is. And I look into the tall grass and I see the the down feathers of the down tail feathers of a turkey. And I was like, wild turkeys are will mean, fuck you up. Yeah. They are raptors. They're like basically. worse than geese. They will, oh, and they can do damage. Like oh, yeah. geese can't really do shit to you. They, they got teeth. Yeah, but they're not like a uh, like a turkey will peck you, it'll claw at you. Like right. it's geese can hurt. Well, I'm not but. saying it's pleasant. No, but, but turkeys are worse. Is what I was gonna say. <laughs> Here, wait, 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 wait. Who would win in a fight between a goose and a turkey? <laughs> turkey. Let let let's discuss this. <laughs> fake let's, animal let's, fight let's not because i have to go to the bathroom <laughs> but uh so i mean we, we turned around but yeah that was fun so i've been getting out and doing walks and uh yeah yeah nice. it's a little thing your thanks is basically my thanks is I'm, I'm thankful i had two road companions we took an eight hour one-way trip to basically just go and see a waterfall 
It's so cool, though. It, it, well, technically, it actually ended up being like three waterfalls because there's like an initial waterfall in before. The, the place is known as the Devil's Kettle. And what it is, is it a waterfall splits into two and one of it just goes into this giant hole in the earth. And they can't figure out where it comes out. Like they've thrown ink and balls and yeah. rubber duckies and they, they can never they find it. They estimate that it probably rejoins the river somewhere. But they have no idea where. But obviously the rocks and stuff are bad enough that like the ducks and shit aren't coming out. I think it's going straight to hell. Yeah, right. So it's called The Devil's Kettle. It was really pretty. It was beautiful. And I am very thankful that I not only got the chance to do that because I've been wanting to go there for like years, but like other people decided, hey, let's take a 16 hour road trip in one day. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. That's like, awesome. And we all get along. So like even though there was three of us, like it wasn't like a weird one woman out you know or one person out thing yeah like we all got along oh i do have a shout out before i forget uh shout out to my cousin-in-law shanna who listens to our podcast oh she told me the other day that she listens because i had no idea and i was like i'll shout you out lady hi shanna we love you we love you right. cheers shanna so there you go awesome I, you know, it's funny when we were coming back from Las Vegas, this is like, uh, like three or four years years ago ago. now we were talking about that. I remember we were driving back from the airport and you brought it up and we were talking about it. So this is finally got to go. This because someone else wanted to go and I was like, yeah, let's let's do it. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. He's got to latch on someone else. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Please like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod, Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com. We have a Patreon, which is just patreon.com slash whiningaboutherstory. And we have an email address, which is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com, where we would love to hear from you. We would. Also, please rate us five stars wherever you listen. It really helps us out. It helps other people find us. It costs you nothing. And And also, it makes uh, our hearts happy. You get extra warm fuzzies if you write us a review. Like, five stars reviews are always amazing. But if you write one to us, that is just the best. We get so happy. We get, guys, we like text each other and be like, oh, I got a review. Guys, I need this. Yeah, right. <laughs> Please. Please. <laughs> Just be like, hey, we love you. I like the podcast. Emily, I also hope you have a good week. <laughs> right. I mean, you can say hi to me too. Oh, please. Kelly needs good weeks too. All the love. All the love. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.